Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, we are continuing our uh, study of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this morning we come to the doctrine of justification. Justification, uh, this doctrine is the most controversial issue in church history. It caused the biggest split ever in church history. Luther said that it was on this article, this doctrine, that the church either stands or falls. John Calvin said it's the hinge in which everything turns. And so if you're willing and able, we're going to read, once you stand, we're going to read from Romans chapter 3 as Paul talks about justification. Verses, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a perpetuation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the reading of God's word. Every part of it is true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. You may be seated. All right, it's gonna happen today. It's gonna happen today. It might be you, but it will be others as well. It will be an excuse strongly given. It will be a defending of a position, a boasting of an achievement, a reference to how hard you work, a story exaggerated, an explanation clearing up a perceived failure, a finger pointing, in the direction of those people. A reputation named, a targeted criticism, an overwhelming insecurity, an eye roll. It will happen today. It happens every day. Religious leaders are confronting Jesus. They're exchanging words. And in Luke's gospel, 
One time, right before they're about to speak to Jesus, Luke pulls the veil back and reveals their motivation. He says about them, he says, wishing to justify themselves. And then they spoke. Wishing to justify themselves. If you got a new car and you were really excited about it and you wanted to show it to me, we went out in the parking lot, we'd walk around it, we would sit in it, we'd talk about the display panel, we'd take it for a spin, but we also might pop the hood and just look at the engine, look at the motor. You wanna look at your motor, the motor of your life? It is the overwhelming desire to justify yourself. It's the motor that drives all of us. For each of us has at the core of our hearts an overwhelming desire, a motor to appear right, to appear good and better, less angry, more patient than we really are. Dane Ortland says this. He says there is an entire psychological substructure that due to the fall is a near constant manufacturing of relational leveraging, fear stuffing, nervousness, scorekeeping, neurotic controlling, anxiety festering silliness that is not something we say or even think so much as something we exhale. You can smell it on people, though some of us are good at hiding it. Justifying ourselves is by, very, by nature undetectable because it's natural. It's not unnatural to us. It feels normal. Of works to fallen people is what water is to fish. So take your sermon outline and let's pop the hood. Take a look at it. First, justification, the need. Paul says in Romans 14, he says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Previously in Romans 3, Paul established that there are none of us righteous. All of us have fallen short. And the psalmist says, he says, oh Lord, if if you marked iniquity, (laughs) who could stand? No one. But here Paul says this, he says, but now. But now. And he makes a staggering and shocking declaration. But now a righteousness from God has been manifested apart from the law. A righteousness through faith. A righteousness displayed. A righteousness granted justification. Now, what is, just, what is righteousness? What is it? It is a performance record that opens doors. So if you're applying for a job, you give them your resume. Your resume is your record of your rightness for the job. And in giving it and applying for the job, you're saying, look at this. Please accept me for this position. If you're going to grad school, you present your academic righteousness, your academic record, and say, please accept me. Look at this. Every religion... And every culture believes the same to be true with God. It's not vocational or academic. It's moral and spiritual. If your performance is good enough, then God accepts you. And here Paul comes along and for the first time in history, 
announces a unheard of approach to God. Never has anything like this before ever been said that a divine righteousness, a perfect record, a spotless resume is going to be given to us. The gospel is totally unique. Outside the gospel, we have to develop a righteousness and offer it to God. But the gospel says that God produces a righteousness and he gives it to us. This is a total reversal of every religion and culture in history. Now, you might be a thoughtful person, a secular person. You don't believe in God. You're just visiting here this morning or you've been coming for a while. And that's great. We're glad you're here. But you might say, this really has nothing to do with me. This is good news for you church people. All right, but it it doesn't really speak to me. Everybody is seeking justification. Everybody is seeking righteousness. It is the motor of every human heart. It doesn't matter what you believe or think. Everybody is seeking to be justified. Out of Africa, the way we were, Jeremiah Johnson, that is such a good movie. The Firm with Tom Cruise, another good one. They're all directed by a man named Sidney Polak. And before he died, there was an article that came out about his inability to slow down and enjoy his final years with his family. Though his health was failing and the grueling process of filmmaking was wearing him down, he said this in the article, I cannot justify my existence if I stop. Every time I finish a picture, I feel like I've done what I'm supposed to do in a sense that I've earned my stay for another year or so. You know, parents will sometimes say that the whole reason they're alive is for their kids. That their kids, in a sense, justify their existence. And you know what? You don't disagree with them because you can see it. You can see their over-the-top passion for their children's achievements. You can go to a youth sporting event and you can just see it over the top. And this over-the-top passion for their children's achievements comes out all the time. And, and, it, and it's not, you get the sense that it's not really about the kids. It's really about the parents getting justification. Right? And they have mood swings inside and out where if their kids are doing well, it's like euphoria. They can't stop posting about it, right? And if their kids are not doing well, it's like they're just totally down. They're using their kids to get righteousness. Guilty. Arthur Miller was a successful playwright. He won a Pulitzer Prize. He was successful in every way, married to Marilyn Monroe. This is what he said. I feel like I've carried around this sense of judgment. I could not escape it. It's still, I still feel like I need to prove myself to others, to have somebody tell me that I'm okay, that I was acceptable, that I was approved up. And this, this reality, this, this intellectual man who was so successful, it bothered him so much that it touched his creativity and he put it into the words 
of one of his characters in a play who said this. For many years, I've looked at life like a case at law. It was a series of proofs. When you're young, you want to prove how brave you are or smart. And then what a good lover and then a good father. And finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that one moved on an upward path towards some elevation where God knows what, I would be justified or even condemned, a verdict anyway. I think now my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty, no judge in sight, and all that remained was this endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. An endless endless, exhausting argument with oneself to justify. And it's exhausting. And it is, it is why we have so much anxiety. It's why we have so much political division. It's why sometimes we're so angry. We're so bothered with how other people do life. It's tethered to almost everything we do. The motor the motor to justify. It's our need. Second, justification freely. Now, confession reminds us, and so does Scripture, that justification is forgiveness of sins and righteousness from God. And here, Paul is emphasizing a righteousness that is freely given. In verse 23, he says, All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That in our sin, we've lost this glory. We cannot live in the presence of God. We cannot enjoy his approval. But Paul says, it is a gift. It is freely bestowed. And you get it by faith. Now, you can go to church your whole life and not get this. Not understand justification. Justification is forgiveness but it is far more, it is far more than pardon. Forgiveness says this, forgiveness says you may go. Your debt has been paid, you are set free. But righteousness is even better because righteousness says you may come, you may fully enjoy me as your father. Not only has your sins been taken away, but the struggle to justify yourself has been taken away as well. So forgiveness is you may go, but righteousness is you may come. Righteousness is bestowed upon you. The confession says it is credited to you. In Christ, you are right, your righteousness is by the imputation of the life and the obedience of Christ himself. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus gets treated as we deserve, and we get treated as he deserves. But this, this record of Christ that we get, this is not goody two-shoes stuff. This is not goody two-shoes moral goodness. It's not just that. It's far more. Look at this picture of Chloe Kim. 
She's an Olympic gold medalist in snowboarding for the second time. Now, if you're watching the Olympics and you saw her gold medal performance and you said something like this, wow, that was so righteous, you would be correct. Because she's using her talent, she's using the right techniques to create beauty, soaring power and majesty on the snow. Now, Jesus is the aroma of the righteousness of God. Obedience, yes. But it's also his bravery, his boldness, his nobility, his courage, his wisdom, his joy, his kindness. Christ is the best and most enjoyable human who ever lived. He lived well, he lived right, he lived beautifully. He brought unceasing joy to the Father. He conquered evil, he defeated death, and all of that is given to you. He won it for you on the cosmic battlefield. And whatever Christ is before God, he is for his people. Now, over the years... You know, we have witnessed people coming and going from church in the many years that that Ray and I have been here and others. And people who understand forgiveness and they understand moral goodness, but they do not understand justification. And it shows. Because they think like this. I'm a sinner. I've accepted Jesus, I've been forgiven. Now, I gotta really live for him. I I gotta be dedicated. And that's kinda how they operate. People come in and out of church like this, you know, they come as kids and they leave as young adults and then life gets hard again, marriage gets challenging, they come back to church and they go, ah, I need God again time to step up to the plate again so what's going on with all this they try hard to live how they think they should as a Christian they try hard to be a good Christian but then failure comes things go wrong and they fail again and they come back and they ask for forgiveness they rededicate themselves they walk the aisle they try their best to live a moral life And then they just get exhausted. They just wear out. That might be some of you. And then they leave. And they never get justification. They never become Christians. So how do you break what I would say is the American religious cycle. Here's how you break it. Stop looking at your sin. Stop looking at your sin. Now, don't go home and say, the pastor said my sin doesn't matter. (laughs) Your sin does matter. However, consider this. Pharisees are very concerned about their sin. 
Pharisees are moral and upright people, and when they sin, they are very upset, they repent, they seek forgiveness, but when they are done, they are still Pharisees. They're not Christians. So here's what makes you a Christian. Do not look at your sin, look at your boasting. The things that are your justification, your righteousness, the things that you look at and say, that justifies me, that validates me. Because whatever is your boast, that fundamentally defines who you are. And in verse 27, after Paul's talked about all this justification, he says, so what then about our boasting? (laughs) He says it's excluded. That free justification destroys boasting. So what makes you a Christian is not so much repenting of your sins. You should repent of your sins. But what makes you a Christian is repenting of your boasting, your goodness, the things that you use to justify yourself, the things that you use to make yourself look better, to repent of your good deeds, to repent of the reason that you did them, that the reason that you did them was to make yourself look good, feel better. Like you're a good person. Look what Paul says in Philippians. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, is that not some of the best biblical trash talk you've ever heard? He's saying, you want to boast? You want to go head to head with me and do a little boasting? Ha, ha, ha. If anyone else has reason to have confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let's go. Throw down, circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuted of the church, as to righteous under the law, blameless. Bring it. And then Paul says, what about his boasting? It's all garbage. It's all rubbish compared to the righteousness of Jesus. You see what Paul's doing? He takes all the adjectives and all the nouns, all the descriptors of his life. Paul has literally given his life to building this boast, to justifying himself. And nothing on the list is sin. It's all good stuff. It's like saying, I went to Harvard, I got a PhD, I started my own business, I raised my kids in the church, I taught Sunday school, I was a Bible scholar, I was a deacon, I was an elder, I was a pastor. He's just listing off good things. And he's repenting of all of them because he used them to justify himself. Listen, we can only do this when we realize that our best achievements in any area of life, have done nothing and can do nothing to justify us before God or to satisfy our hearts. And to boast in them is like a drowning man holding a fistful of cash saying, I'm okay, I've got my money. C.S. Lewis calls it getting rid of the silly little dress. He says that our justifying efforts, and I quote, are silly, ugly, fancy little dress that we get into and strut about like the little idiots that we are. 
He says, taking off the fancy dress, we can experience a relief and a rest, getting rid of the false self, the false boasting with all of its, look at me, aren't I a good boy? With all of its posing and posturing to appear right and better than we actually are. Isn't that good? But here's the rub. Here's the rub. We don't want to get rid of our silly little dress. Jacques Ellul says this. He says, we don't want grace. It doesn't satisfy our religious needs. We are possessed by an obsessional desire to justify ourselves, to declare that we are righteous, to be righteous in our own eyes, to seem to be righteous in the eyes of others. Saying that God loves us and grants us no reassurance. We would prefer that he gave us 50 things to do so that when we had done them, we could be at peace. We do not want an ongoing relationship with God. We prefer a rule. We prefer religion. We prefer pretending that we are better than we actually are. Christianity is the end of religion. It is the end of faking and posturing and strutting about in our little fancy dress. Dr. Uh, Greg Perry is a professor, he's an author, he's a man of notable accomplishments. And there was a time in his life when his wife left him that he was in a state of complete devastation of his reputation and his reality. And so he went to his church for an Ash Wednesday service. And when he approached to get his ashes, his pastor said this to him, you are not Dr. Perry. You are not the husband, you are not the dad, not an author, not the sought after keynote speaker. You are not the best things that people have said about you, the best things that you have believed about yourself. You are dust. You are ashes. Repent of your adjectives and your nouns of your righteousness. They are pulled off, stripped off. That's what the ashes mean. That's what justification means. Repenting of your boast. Repenting of your endless efforts to justify yourself. Your silly little dress. Lay your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. And stand in him alone. Gloriously complete. So third, justification, the resting. Resting. Paul says in Romans 10, he says that Christ is the end of the struggle for righteousness. The end of the exhausting litigation for worth. In Philippians 3, Paul says, he says, I have been found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from Christ through faith. He says, I, he says the struggle is over. I've, I've been found in him. I'm, I'm resting in his righteousness. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, wouldn't you like to be the type of person who does not need honor nor is afraid of it? 
someone who does not lust for recognition nor is frightened to death of it. Don't you want to be the kind of person who when they see themselves in the mirror does not admire what they see, does not cringe either? Wouldn't you like to be the kind of person who in their imaginary life doesn't sit around fantasizing about hitting self-esteem home runs, daydreaming about successes that would give them an edge over others? Or perhaps you beat yourself up, tormented by regrets. Wouldn't you like to be free of them? You know, wouldn't you like your money to just be your money and not your validation? Wouldn't you like the achievements of your kids just to be something you could enjoy as a gift and not wringing your hands in anxiety or anger over a t-ball game? Wouldn't you like it if criticism didn't devastate you so much or not being appreciated would stop making you angry? Wouldn't you like to stop pretending that you're better than you actually are. Let me ask you a question. What do you like about yourself? What do you like about yourself? In 1995, a movie came out called Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland was a uh, talented music composer who left that to be a band director at a high school. And in one of the scenes, one of his students is, she's so frustrated because she can't play the clarinet. And she just quits. And she so desperately wants to be good at something. And this agony is increased because of the comparison with her sister who has gone to this elite ballet school. And her brother, who plays college football at Notre Dame. And their success stands over her, condemning her, because she can't even play the clarinet. She practices all the time. She's gotten extra tutoring. I want you to watch this clip from the movie, and I want you to hear what he asked her, and then what she says in response. Watch. Okay. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, four. Uh. Okay, let's do it again. And this time, not so much lip on the mouthpiece. Okay. One, two, three, four. All right, no, 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 don't do that. Let me ask you a question. What? When you look in the mirror, what do you like best about yourself? My hair. Why? Um, my father always says that it reminds him of a sunset. 
Play the sunset. Close your eyes. One, two, three, four. He tells her to play the sunset. And for the first time in her life, she does something well with complete freedom. He asked her, what do you like about yourself? And what she likes about herself is not something that really finds its source in her. She likes her red hair because her father always tells her it reminds him of the beauty of the sunset. What her father thinks of her is her favorite thing about herself. You see, the reason we don't get Christianity sometimes, the reason we don't understand justification, is because we hope to like ourselves for some of the accomplishments in our life, that we could be justified by our ability to produce a life. And on the outside, all may be well, But inside, the motor runs hot to justify as we are trying to play our clarinet. What her father thinks of her is her favorite thing about herself. And she plays the sunset. And now, playing the clarinet is just playing the clarinet. The end of the struggle for her to get validation. But now, but now, there is a righteousness from God. And when the Father looks at you, it always reminds him of the beauty of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Play the sunset. Play the sunset. Live in the pleasure of the Father over you because you have the beauty of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me to gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.